Welcome to the MedEvidence Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Corrin and Michelle McCormick. MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the real truth behind medical research with both a clinical and research perspective. In this podcast, we'll have discussions with physicians that have extensive experience in patient care and research. How do you know that something works? In medicine, we conduct clinical trials to see if things work. Now, let's get the truth behind the data. Welcome to MedEvidence, powered by Encore Research Group. Go to EncoreDocs.com. Good morning. My name is Dr. Michael Corrin, and it's my pleasure and privilege to be the moderator today for the MedEvidence Hour, which uh, may be 55 minutes with commercials. (laughs) And this is a particularly fun session for me because I'm working with a good close friend of mine who I've known for many, many years, Dr. Charlie Boris. Charlie Boris was a rock of a primary care physician in our community for many, many years. I had the great pleasure of personally working with him through Jacksonville Center for Clinical Research. Uh, Charlie was one of our early adopters, a great researcher, a board member for Jacksonville Center for Clinical Research, and a good pal that came to our meetings, was a a source of uh, inspiration for all of us, and also a a confidant that we can talk about very, very important issues with regard to developing medical research in the Northeast Florida community. Charlie made an interesting transition, I guess, starting about five years ago, and went from traditional medical practice to actually developing medical marijuana and cannabis research and cannabis practice. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about Charlie's journey into the medical cannabis space and what he's doing now, and also some of the medical background and the medical underpinnings for your practice. So welcome, Charlie. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate that introduction. That was real nice. My my pleasure. So just give us a quick briefing of um, your practice now and just a a brief idea of what the laws are. So what what are you allowed to do when you prescribe medical marijuana and and how you, just in a very, very high level, talk about how you interact with patients? Certainly. What I do in the practice is provide the medical certification that people can use to obtain a medical marijuana card and start the process of improving their health with medical marijuana. We have to have documentation from an outside source. Any sort of healthcare provider that has a diagnosis that's appropriate for getting a cannabis card is all we need to access. The state, although I made the diagnosis for 36 years during my career, the state doesn't allow me to do it in this milieu. And that's totally appropriate Mm -hmm. because we don't want doctors certifying just anybody with made-up diagnoses to get their medical cannabis card. Interesting. Now, what did you have to do to get into that position? Is there any process? It's... Yes, there is a test. It's a two-hour test that strictly covers the legalities associated with medical marijuana certification and the state laws and the fact that federal laws supersede our state laws, which is definitely a source of conflict in that regard. But that exam occurs every two hours, or I'm sorry, every two years, Mm -hmm. and it's something that's required for all physicians problem with that is it teaches a physician nothing about the medical aspects of cannabis. That doesn't give you knowledge useful for making recommendations to the clients that you see. 
And just as an overview, how does Florida compare to other parts of the country with regard to the ease of practicing cannabis medicine? The, the ease is, it is pretty easy mm-hmm. just going through the certification and then the willingness to set up a shop and do all of that. I don't really know how that compares to other places. I haven't studied that enough, mm-hmm. but certainly the places where it's completely legal for both recreational and medicinal use is just the Wild West. You can walk into any dispensary and get whatever products you desire in that regard. So so there are two key components to cannabis, as I understand it, and you can explain it to the audience. We have what's called CBD mm-hmm. and THC, and they're very different chemicals yes. with different effects. So why don't you just give us, again, a high-level understanding of that. THC was originally discovered in the early 70s by a researcher in Israel, And what we know about it is that it has lots of potent activities within the body. In high doses, it can create a significant amount of euphoria, relaxation, and sometimes that can be associated with some abnormal motor activity, some impairment in that regard. That's clearly not the goal for using THC medicinally. It has a number of medicinal properties that include significant pain reduction, has anti-cancer properties, can reduce inflammation, can help dilate the bronchioles in the lungs as well. The list goes on and on with what THC can do. Its downside is the aspect, the potential for having psychoactivity, which for most people will make them quite sleepy. Mm-hmm. But If the initial dose is too high, some people will develop even some nausea, although it's anti-nausea in the more therapeutic doses as well. CBD is an entirely different molecule. It has no psychoactivity, very potent effects on reducing inflammation, potent anti-seizure, anti-cancer benefits, another long list. The beauty of those two is that THC, when used medicinally, works better when it's combined with CBD. They have a synergistic benefit. The way I look at it, one plus one ain't two anymore. It's more like eight or more. Got it. It's such a powerful influence. So CBD has no intoxicating properties whatsoever. Correct. None. And THC is what causes the intoxication, but the other effects that you mentioned as well. Yes, and at the doses we use from a medicinal standpoint, we don't tend to see the intoxication. Mm. Even in people, our oldest client is 98, never Mm. saw intoxication. Mm. Have lots of people in their upper 80s and lower 90s as well. Mm. And tell tell us a little bit about the history of marijuana in the United States and kind of where we got here in terms of now being open to its use from a medical standpoint and a recreational standpoint in many states? In the early days of American medicine, cannabis was used regularly. I've had access to some old textbooks before the prohibition in 1937, and there's lots in the index where you look up marijuana Mm -hmm. and its uses. It was primarily for pain. Mm -hmm. In fact, those uh, traveling shows that would travel the country with Uncle John Snake oil. That was pretty much all cannabis-based, and they sold the heck out of it because it worked. Hmm. Menstrual cramps, reducing pain, headaches, sleep, 
anxiety, all of those sort of things responded were, were, were to they, Were they ingesting it or smoking it back then? It was like a tincture, okay. like we use now. And mm -hmm. they probably were smoking it as mm -hmm. well. That mm -hmm. has some pretty ancient history um, with many people using it from an inhalational combusting standpoint. But back then it was mixed with alcohol mm -hmm. to make it go down better, there we I go. guess. And I think they're going back to that now. <laughs> I've heard that some we of the alcohol companies... Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, some alcohol companies are infusing it, but it tastes kind of nasty. Is that right? So where did we get off track from a medical standpoint? We got off track in <clears throat> 1937 <clears throat> when there was the Prohibition Act against cannabis, and then it just took it off the radar. Which is ironic because in the, in the mid-30s, they allowed people to start using alcohol again, yep. but they stopped allowing people to use cannabis. Right. Was there any events? Was there anything that led to that legislation or just general sensibilities? My readings about it were there was a lot of Mexican immigration and they were bringing the marijuana, spelled with an H, into the country. And then there were a lot of issues with it apparently leading to some lascivious behavior among jazz musicians. <laughs> It's funny that that would come out right. in some of the stuff that I right. read, but that's what I saw. They decided we can't have this. Yeah, I actually have read somewhere that marijuana may be responsible for the American style of jazz. That there was um, obviously changes in, in the way you saw the scales when you actually <laughs> uh, smoked marijuana. And, I'm surprised. Yeah, and so, that, so that's an interesting part of American history. So you now fulfill an interesting role. And um, you're obviously trained as a, you know, a tremendous traditional uh, practitioner of medicine, and you've done that for many, many years. And um, you're in a space now that is a little bit less clearly defined in terms of traditional medicine, but needed, again, in my opinion, because the fact is that we can't really practice this way in traditional medicine because these aren't, quote, approved products by the FDA. And moreover, it's very difficult for these type of products to go through the typical FDA sequence of approval for a number of reasons that we can get into. Uh, on the other hand, um, you, as based on your personality and, and based on how I know you, don't want to take just a willy-nilly approach to the way you would treat patients. You want to take a scientific structured approach. Yes. So talk a little bit about that and how that, how that balances out and, and your thinking about that. After studying cannabis for nine years, I have learned how it works in the body from a science perspective. And I don't know if we want to go into that tract or not, but to your question, to your point, we all have people in our clinical practice that we try everything we know, just can't quite get them there. Mm -hmm. What we've seen with cannabis, it can take those people who are treatment-resistant and have them respond dramatically. Hmm. Interesting. Whatever the condition is that we're treating. Right. So I always like to bring my slant towards education. I've mm. spent the time educating Absolutely. myself, mm. and I spend the time educating everybody that we see, because that's kind of missing in this industry. So we also want to provide specific guidance. You can't write a prescription by law, but we can provide crystal clear recommendations of the cannabis products to obtain because we know what's going to work. I work with my brother Peter, and he 
<clears throat> excuse me, is a certified cannabis educator. Mm-hmm. So we're the only practice we know of where you've got a knowledgeable physician mm-hmm. combined with a knowledgeable educator. Nice. And so when our clients leave, they have a full constituency of information to take with them. And we also have a very vigorous support system. We want people to keep in contact with us, whether it's by telephone or email. We just want to hold their hand and guide them through the dosing process. Beautiful. So I want to dig into the scientific elements of cannabinoids. And um, I will start this discussion by saying that anything that causes intoxication obviously hits some sort of receptors in the brain in order for these things to have those effects on our brain there has to be something in the brain that's receptive to it and we're going to get into that but we're going to do that in the next segment your host, Michelle McCormick, and we want to thank Dr. Michael Corrin for his clinical and research perspective behind the science in this episode of MedEvidence, the truth behind the data. Mm-hmm.